0: Did
1: he write the Silence Do Good letters? Yes. The only reason I know that is because I'm a big National Treasure fan.
2: It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the Standby for Places Green Room. Welcome to In the Green Room.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to In the Green Room, Standby for Places interview podcast. Um, Today I'm with two lovely people, Ray Flint and Eric Scotto, who have just recently worked on Ben Franklin, An Ingenious Life, which you can listen to now, a radio play script adapted from the one-man play of the same name by Ray Flint and directed by Eric Scotto. How are you guys today? I'm good. Great. Good. Thumbs up all around. Um, Jumping right in, Ray, I guess my my first question would be directed to you primarily. Uh, Why Benjamin Franklin?
3: Uh, this history goes back, for me, about 30 years. I Three times in my life I've had the opportunity to play Ben Franklin in the musical 1776. Mm-hmm. And I became enamored with the character. And after the second time, I I had the opportunity to see a couple of one-person shows like uh, Hal Holbrook's Mark Twain mm-hmm. Tonight and, uh, and, a, and a one-man show about Harry Truman. And I thought to myself that Ben Franklin would be as interesting a subject for a one-man show as the others. Not any more interesting, but as interesting. And so I just assembled all kind of books about Franklin, his autobiography, lots of his letters and essays, and assembled a play, 90% of which is his words, or words of his contemporaries. And then I just sort of stitched it together with a couple of ideas
1: what did playing him what what was it about playing him that sparked the interest to pursue telling his story further
3: i just find franklin to be an interesting character uh as as a person of history he he contributed in so many different ways you know we we know a lot of famous people from history but franklin was a, an inventor A successful businessman, a diplomat, a statesman, um, a scientist, and he's regularly considered to be one of the most one of uh, one of the top one hundred most important people in history.
1: He also just based on my limited knowledge of Benjamin Franklin coming in, seems like somebody who would be fun to hang out with.
3: Well, that's the other thing. He. was very approachable very accessible a lot of the founding fathers um like f- for example george washington he was quite austere uh, his general uh because he'd been a general he was used to being in command
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh no one would really consider approaching him and uh but but ben franklin didn't mind being called ben uh he enjoyed being out with people and uh very approachable
1: which lends itself i'm sure to uh an interesting person to write uh, a story about or or to or to tell whose whose story to tell
3: well and he had a sense of humor too you know he he did little uh essays in publication uh that that he wrote under the name of richard saunders called poor richard's almanac and uh that's where a lot of his aphorisms got got printed, you know, um, a penny saved is a penny earned, that type of thing. So he was very, very approachable.
1: And Eric, how did you come to be involved?
2: Well, uh, Ray and I go way back. And then Ray was also uh, graced us with his presence in uh, about a year ago with Little Shop of Horrors for Standby for Places. And that kind of reconnected us. And it seemed like Ray thought, you know, I have a great idea for a podcast, and then ran it by me, and I was all about it.
1: How did you guys meet, if you've known each other for a long time?
2: I I mean, Ray, was it 1776, or was it Most Happy Fella? Most Happy Fella, I think. That was perfect. Yeah. In community theater, like you do. All the good people meet that way.
3: I, I can tell you this. Eric was quite young when we met. That has to be the case. You're probably a teenager, right? Yes, I uh, I moved to Erie in high school and immediately
2: started doing as much community theater as I could through hi- in high school. So yes,
3: because uh, most happy fellow was in 1978, so that that would be the year.
2: <laughs> we we probably did it again in the early 90s.
3: We did, we did. That's right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I were
2: three born the first 70s. time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. I was going to say you two must have been just. In the womb in well,
3: 1978. I'm, an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, almost you're, as you're old you're as Ben else. Franklin in, in this play. Yeah. Uh, Franklin in the play is about 82 years of age because I wanted to include stuff about the Constitutional Convention, and he was uh, 80 at that time. So mm-hmm. this is very near the end of his life, and uh, I will be turning 76 soon. Mm-hmm so i'm getting close to the right age to be playing frankly
1: <laughs> what do you think it is about it, it feels like especially lately we've been revisiting the founding fathers with with hamilton and and many um offshoots that have that have been influenced by it and um the Constitution means to me and things like that. There seem, and and, and POTUS in many ways, there there seems to be a re-examining of the foundation of this country. And for you two personally, what what do you feel draws people to that right now?
3: Um, I'll start and then Eric can chime in. I think that uh, we have so much dysfunction in our politics right now that we look back at the founding fathers as a time when at least they were able to get something done.
0: Mm. You know, maybe
3: it was the common enemy of uh, King George the third that brought everybody together for common purpose, but things just seem so dysfunctional and have been for 30 years or more in our politics that uh, people look back with longing on time when they could get stuff done.
2: I also wonder if, if it's a, a quest to find out did it ever work, mm. <laughs> you know? And I think with access to even just the internet and Google and uh, so many opinions, so many opinions just constantly being s- spouted out. And I think there's a, a delving to find out if there's truth anywhere that's, you know, and and to, to kind of mine it for yourself.
3: Mm. One of my favorite lines of Franklin's from the play, which were words that he spoke at the Constitutional Convention. And he said, there are two passions which have a powerful influence in the affairs of men, ambition and avarice, the love of power and the love of money. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say, that, that conflict between those are the source of all conflict in, in our society. And when you when you hear those words spoken over 230 years ago and you apply them to what's going on today,
0: mm-hmm.
3: it's it's still applicable. Ambition and avarice. And then he's got another great line, if I might add, uh, place before the eyes of men a post of honor. It shall at the same time be a place of profit, and he shall move heaven and earth to obtain it. Mm. And nothing's changed. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> but I think, but I think Franklin was the type of person. You know, he had his biases and prejudices as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, but I think he was the t- type of person that could look beyond the petty and the self-serving. To see what would be for the greater good. And I think that's true in a lot of ways of many of our founding fathers. Not that they, again, not that they didn't have their own views and biases. Hmm. Today everybody has their views and biases and won't even consider compromising.
1: And they're equally amplified. Yeah. You know, with with uh leveling the playing field with everybody having access to the internet which is a, a wonderful thing in so many ways it also means that everybody's voice is equally loud right. in in exactly. a lot of ways and uh, silenced in others <laughs> um right. are you do you find yourself uh particularly drawn to um political or historical stories and art I, both of you
3: well i was a political science major back oh, in really? college yeah i never really i mean i worked for government I never I think one of my aspirations when I was in college was to to get into government in a policy making uh, type of position if not an, as an elected person as as someone that could influence elected officials. but life has a way of happening and none of that ever happened for me. So um, that's but, interesting yeah, I've always been fascinated.
1: I'm not. And I'm can, not a Benjamin Franklin expert. I, uh, I I'm I'm learning, but uh, did Benjamin Franklin hold an elected position at any point?
3: Well, he was he was governor of the state of Pennsylvania.
1: Oh, he was governor of Pennsylvania. I was going to yeah. say because he he's often he he's such an influential person, but he was never president. He
3: he. No. Uh, he well, he was too old. He was, he was too old to be president because uh, he was. Eighty years old when the Constitutional Convention was held. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the Constitution was adopted that we had a president. Right. And I think and so George Washington was the logical first one.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And Frank at that point, Franklin was really quite ill uh, at age 80. He had severe gout. He had to be carried mm. into sessions of the Continental Congress at that time. And, and he often was found falling asleep during the sessions but he still had a political. sharp exactly but he still had a sharp mind
1: yeah
0: and
3: when he was awake and uh <laughs> so uh but yeah he had served as governor of Pennsylvania uh he was a uh, postmaster general i believe right at one point uh, for the colonies and uh, and obviously he served in the legislature he was part of the continental congress that that first adopted the Declaration of Independence, then went on to create the Constitution. He was a busy man.
1: Very busy, and inventing, and writing. He invented so many different things, yeah. And impersonating other people in his writing. <laughs>
3: he, he did, he, he did quite quite often. He He employed other personas to get his message across. Did
1: he write the silence do-good letters? Yes. The only reason I know that is because I'm a big National Treasure fan. Um yes. but yeah, it seems like he was he was using nom de plumes a
3: lot. He wrote the silence do good papers back when he was fourteen or fifteen years of age. He worked he was apprenticed to his brother as a in his brother's print shop. And he and his brother never got along. And Franklin liked to write. He, he tried to perfect his writing skills,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and as I point out in the play, he suspected that his brother wouldn't print anything of his because he was only 14 or 15 if he knew it was his. So he disguised his handwriting and wrote a paper uh, calling himself Mrs. Silence Do Good. <laughs> And Franklin quite often, it's, it's interesting in the context of women's rights, and we we certainly think uh, of, uh, you know, only men could could vote back then, et cetera. But I think, I find in Franklin's writings, he often took the persona of a woman to mm-hmm. make his point on more than one occasion. And uh, I think he, under, well, he came from a family where he had a number of sisters, and he was also very close to his sister, Jane, uh, as he went through life. And there are a lot of letters that he exchanged with her. So I think he understood women, their situation. I mean, again, it was 300 years ago. So, you yeah. know, life was different back then. And we're sort of slowly working our way back there, it seems, <laughs> from what it's happened this past doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's just,
1: yeah. And, Eric, you... You are a self-proclaimed Benjamin Franklin expert, famously.
2: Um, (laughs) No, I just actually
1: absolutely everything. So, I'm I'm going to give you a a few uh, pop quiz questions now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, What what's some what are some interesting things you learned about Benjamin Franklin during the process of working on this?
2: Um, honestly, what's funny, I, I was just sitting here like Ray was talking, and I'm like, yes, yes, oh, yes, and nodding. And I realized I learned everything I know because of him and his play. So thank you. <laughs> um, some things I learned. I mean, certainly I didn't know that he wrote under other names until Ray's uh, play. And I learned a lot about his inventions and, and also his perspectives. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot. There's a lot in there when you listen to it. Just thing after thing that you're like, "That was him. That was him. Oh my gosh, that was him!" So uh, that was very fascinating. I am. I will say, I bought the book a long time ago, and then I dusted it for a long time before finally uh, donating it to a library. So that is. (laughs) And I and I did 1776 once, so I'm pretty pretty up on the history.
1: Who did you play in 1776? The production.
3: Did you do you did it together. We weren't in the one together. Oh, you weren't in we, it together. I don't know. We might have been.
1: Listen, I when you we... played Benjamin Franklin 3 times, the lines blur.
3: Well, the, the first time I played, I was only 28 years old when I first played it, and that was in 1975. Hmm. And that was the only eerie production that I did of the show. Then and the I... next time I did it was in the 90s, but in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
2: All right, so I took Most Happy Fella and everything else I know about you, and I combined my memories together. <laughs> You're the only Ben Franklin for me.
3: What, what role, Eric, did you play in 1776? The courier. Okay, great role. Yeah, the best. I
1: haven't been in 1776 yet, so.
3: But well, well, there's the an all-female version now. So I would love
1: be. to be in that.
3: Yeah, you will.
1: I want to play Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin famously, his mother lived in Nantucket for a time, which is where I'm currently living and where I grew up.
3: Oh, wow. Did not so, know oh, that. Yeah,
1: we're very proud about that. We, uh, we're we very proud about the fact that Frederick Douglass came and spoke at our library and that Benjamin Franklin probably visited his mom at some point.
3: <laughs> That's where <what> he did. <laughs>
1: um, so, you two are both actors who do other things as well,
3: You, you right? Eric's an actor. I do other things as well. <laughs> <laughs> My my acting experience has primarily been community theater. Aside from aside from doing this one man show, uh, most everything I've done acting wise has been in community theater. And I've been hey,
1: acting I'm currently exactly.
3: involved with my seventh community theater. So
1: what what are you um what are you working on?
3: Well, uh, this coming season I'm going to be an assistant director for the production of a, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum.
1: Ah, oh, love Another it! Another fun show. So yes, so you, you both have experience doing multiple things in the creative realm. Um, what do you do when you're looking for inspiration? Where where do you go or what do you seek out when you're looking for something to get you creative? I, Eric, I, take it away. I,
2: it's interesting because I, on my breaks from theatrical stuff, I try to just go back into life. I mean, I need to get out and, hike and see nature and have a moment of breath and try to remember what's what else is important you know and also um which sounds maybe counterproductive because I always say like if you're not living and experiencing other people's stories what are you bringing to the show what are you bringing to the work but I also realize I have to get away from all of it for a while I mean I I now teach it I'm doing multiple productions all over the, the the place. And so I need to step away away. So I go to my garden <laughs> and I watch bugs and I watch animals and I watch nature and try to just like, I don't know, I need to like deprogram for a minute in order to come back with fresh eyes, if that makes any sense.
1: Absolutely. But I love to see
2: new movies. I, I like to, I read a lot of biographies when I can. Um, because I just like to get into other people's human experiences because I'm not a person that thinks mine is the only one I know there's a lot of people who think that I don't and I know you know mine is super limited and my struggles are my struggles but to in order to help other people tell other people's stories I have to be open and receptive to hearing zillions of points of view and and so anyway biographies for me are a thing I just read a really, really fascinating story um, about Alexander Billings' life, which is just completely oh, yeah. different.
1: I'd
3: love to. That.
2: I've experienced, and I'm so grateful that she shared that with us.
3: That's so that awesome. in addition to. No, oh, Go ahead, Eric. Say hey, that really
2: has almost nothing to do with Ben Franklin, but you asked.
1: <laughs> but people are people. You know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. Ben Franklin's another a, a person with an experience.
3: So, so in addition to the. And Franklin play. I write mysteries. I just finished my sixteenth novel this past. Wow! Week.
1: Congratulations! Thank that you.
3: Very. And cool. so I like to read mysteries that, that help me in that realm. You know, to hone my craft, to be a better writer. Uh, but beyond that, I do enjoy reading nonfiction, and uh, I also enjoy watching documentaries. Mm. I find those I find those interesting.
1: Have you seen any good ones lately?
3: I knew you were gonna ask me that. <laughs> no pressure. I can't I can't pinpoint one that I've seen lately, but I but I look yeah. at them all the time. You know, um, YouTube um, is a great source for documentary information.
1: Seriously, yeah. And I'm actually currently, I just came from a talk back there. There's a film festival going on in our town. So I'm seeing a lot of movies for the first time in like two years because I've been avoiding going to the movies. I'm seeing a lot of movies, and I haven't seen any of the documentaries yet, but, um, so you find yourself drawn to true stories as well as?
3: Yes, very what, much so.
1: What is it about that, that that entices you?
3: Well, again, you know, if I think if you're going to write fiction that can inform real life, hmm. it's helpful to understand, and hmm. Eric maybe made the same point, it's helpful to understand real life and real life experiences. Yeah. Uh, my hiking days are over. <laughs> other than...
2: <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I
3: mean, I enjoy nature by looking out the window every once in a
2: while. <laughs> it's my understanding that prior to our work together on, on recording Ben Franklin, you had done the production uh, 30-something times, you said? Yeah. yeah. And then, since we recorded it, I know you've done
3: it again since, live. True? Right. I, I just did... Uh, seven performances in three venues in the month of May. Wow.
2: Did you find it fresh or different or new from having like kind of delved into it in a different realm?
3: Well, it's, yes. uh, But I would have to say that every time I've done it, you know, and there's been long gaps between because I had not done my play for four years and the play is 9,000 words. And so you know, those 9,000 words don't stay up there. I mean, there's there's remnants of them, but I basically had to relearn. Now, it comes back quicker every time I do it, but uh, I basically had to relearn the entire play and keep, and keep up with it. But, but nearly every time that I recommit to learning the lines, I'll find a new perspective about a line or, you know, I'll find... The last time i did it this might have been my favorite part of the show and now this is the favorite part you know that that type of thing.
1: keeping it fresh
3: yeah trying to
1: and did you find that um doing it for strictly an audio uh performance did you find that to be a, a, a different experience
3: well that was definitely a different experience and and i appreciated having eric to pull me along on that because uh as you might be able to tell i have this you know booming stage voice and one of the first things. Eric had to do was rein me in vocally, mm-hmm. you know, for the, uh, for the recording of the, of the radio podcast. Okay, I do have a booming
1: out. stage. <laughs> I've also had to, had to calibrate that. I completely understand that struggle.
0: It's um, so- and Eric,
1: you've directed for, for, uh, for radio podcast before. Was doing this, did the, doing this project bring anything new to light for you in that respect? Well,
2: it's a very new thing medium for me and I'm just learning and little shop was my first attempt and that had so many bits and pieces and changes of scene and in and out of different whatever's that it was so much more about well I want yeah it was a lot about the post and trying to make those these various locations come to life and then to take this one man you know hour 10 minute monologue that in real life would have you know a glance a nuance a slight lighting change a get up and move to this chair yeah. the costume the look, all of these other things that would just um, help it go along and aid in the the transitions where there weren't any. We weren't changing locations. We weren't, you know what I'm trying to say? And so right. then to like boil that down to an audio experience was a, a different game, if you will. I, I didn't want to over-produce or over-add things to it that weren't meant to be there, and yet, some transitions and, and whatnot, just that would have held on a stage, maybe felt, um, challenging in an audio world. So I hope Ray, when you hear it, you'll be happy with how it turned out. Uh, it, so how, it, how
1: did you guys work that out collaboratively? Like what, what was that like minute to minute?
3: Well, early on uh, when we were, when we were doing rehearsals for it, Eric would say to me, well, Ray, what's the transition here? And I said, well, when I do it on stage, I get up out of this chair and I walk over to the desk, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's that, that moment where the, all the audience is doing is just watching me move from one spot to another and it holds on the stage, but in radio, you can't allow 30 seconds of dead air. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Right.
3: That would have people checking
1: their phones and their headphones and...
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is a weird. Yeah, as soon as there's any amount of like pause, we just think something went wrong with our connection or whatever. Now it's common, um, so that was interesting. And you were very gracious in 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 helping teach me how this play worked because I have not seen Ray do the live version of it. Mm. Um, and I read it and wrote all my questions and things. And but these trans, some of these transitions that are blatantly unapologetically just. On stage magic transitions where, and now I go over here and then I talk about something different. And that, me uh, trying to make that connect in my brain um, became a fun puzzle to, mm. and I hope I did it. <laughs> I well, think I did.
1: The great thing about constraints is then you're forced to get creative. Yeah. Um, so did you find yourself looking to other things to sort of supplement that, like music, sound cues, um, just, Editing and post, any, was what, what was that like?
2: I definitely spent a lot of time in editing and trying to take out naturalistic pauses without making it seem completely rushed. Mm-hmm. And there are some where I'm like, oh, I, if you did that in real life, there's no breath, but we're going to be okay and we're going to leave that. So <laughs> there were times when I just, I let it happen. But um, there is a little bit of ambient experience without it being 100% realistic. And one thing that became my good friend was the thunderstorm because this whole thing takes place on a stormy night. And I realized that instead of just like layering that under there and just letting it sit, I could use it to my advantage. Ooh. So you will see that thunder is, is a good friend in transitions. Uh, it it helps like, it's like a jump cut without it being super jumpy. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. I had a lot of fun with thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Not, don't worry. Still about you.
1: That's thunder. your autobiography title. I had a little fun with thunder.
2: Ben it's Franklin had a little fun we, with thunder. Yeah.
1: how he invented electricity. Invented yes, he, he invented it. He
3: didn't he didn't really invent it, but he, he
1: made it up. It didn't exist before.
3: Yes. What he did make up were words that we still use today, like positive and negative and battery. Those are those are, those are words he you know put together to describe. Oh.
1: And he also he didn't he do bifocals,
3: bifocals. Um, what else? Franklin what stove. Mm-hmm. He invented a musical instrument, the glass harmonica, which is quite interesting. If, if you if you go on to uh, YouTube and put in glass harmonica, it's really an interesting mm-hmm. sound.
1: Can well, I, don't I'm go on like...
3: YouTube. Listen to our radio podcast, and you'll there. Hear, you go. There you hear go. a segment of. Uh, don't summer.
1: go to YouTube for your Ben Franklin. Come to us. Kind of sounds like he should have. He, he had too much free time. <laughs> <laughs> How did he have time to to? You know it, what else? Together? You know what else was
3: interesting about Franklin? Uh, in his lifetime, he did eight transatlantic crossings, and that wasn't in you know a seven forty seven. That was in a boat that took a minimum of six weeks. And could take as long as three months, depending on wind and, and water currents. So, when you total all that up, one year of Franklin's life was spent on boats going back and forth between the United States, England, and France.
1: I don't even want to go on a cruise for a week.
3: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I hear you.
1: Well, that may, I mean, I, I assume that that gave him a lot of. A, a wider perspective than someone who just stayed put.
3: But he didn't waste his time. It wasn't like sitting on a deck chair, you know, and soaking up the sun. I mean, yeah, he, he was
1: inventing bifocals in the glass harmonica. He
3: was thinking. He was writing. Uh, the other thing that that he did, along with the nephew, was he he charted the Gulf Stream. Uh, its existence was known, but exactly where it was was not necessarily known. So he they just did temperature, you know, throw a thermometer down in the water and they could tell where the warmer Gulf Stream was.
2: Wow. He had his hand in a lot of realms, a lot He's of high.
1: What made me feel so underaccomplished?
3: Like, yeah. Well, like Me too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, is there is there another historical figure or or famous or mythical person that um, either of you have any interest in exploring potentially in the future, whose story you might be interested in telling?
3: Well, I don't, not for me, I don't think. Uh, again, I'm at the age where it, it's frankly difficult to do the Franklin play. Mm. Um, I have bad knees and being on my feet for an hour or so is, is a bit of a challenge anymore. Uh, but I think I am, as I as I joke with audiences that ask me why Franklin, and I say, "Well, I fit the costume pretty well." So. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs>
2: I've just had a spark of an idea that I'm going to talk to you about offline, so we don't give it away here. Ooh. But um, yeah I, i've played I've played a certain guy in the past too, and I wondered what their conversation would be like. Joke so on about- you,
1: listeners! You'll never know. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I am. Uh, in the process of writing a one-woman show about a historical figure. And I was wondering if either of you have any advice.
3: Do it. Yeah, do (laughs) it. I think, uh, again, offline, I'd love to swap some emails with you about that process. Uh, One of the things that I did before, I don't call it so much writing this play as assembling it because I had so much Franklin material. Mm -hmm. was the figuring out how how to do this you know so it starts with the conceit of the audience gathering in in Franklin's study mm-hmm. to listen to him and that's the premise um and but but not every not every one person show is constructed around that you know but I think bec- because it's you and the audience there has to be some form of interaction. That's useful, thank you.
2: I think I would say something that's probably the most obvious thing in the world, but when you have somebody that's known for so many things, it's to find the common thread of humanity, of Mm. why that's important. I mean, you know that, of course, but like, when you're like, and they did this, and they did this, or they're famous for this, or they stood up for this, or they, you know, but you forget that, if you really boil down everything always, you come to some really basic humanity, which I think is what allows people to be drawn in, touched, changed by, the telling of that story. So, in the in the attempt to glorify or uh, illuminate all of this person's accomplishments, hmm. make keep just keep filtering down. Like, where's the where's the human connection in that moment? And in that moment, am I still there? Okay, I am, because of course you are. But I would just put a post it on a wall and make sure that you, you ask yourself the question a lot. Which I I know you, and I assume you are.
1: <laughs> Thank you. That's that's all very useful. Yeah. And Ray, we should talk because it's also a mystery. Cool. Very
3: cool. Whoa.
1: Whoa. Let's turn it into a musical. And it's a musical. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make one Uber show. Yeah. Amazing. So what do you hope people take away? What do you hope listeners take away from, from this project?
3: I think one of the things that they're going to find, um, is how much of what ben franklin said 250 years ago is still relevant today uh, i cited an example earlier about our our politics but he also makes observations about religion uh he makes observations just about human life and and, and he he portrayed some of the challenges that he experienced with his with his brother and i think you know any, anybody mm-hmm. who lives goes through challenges in their life, you know, people that they don't get along with or, you know, whether it's a family member or a boss or co-worker or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. to, to realize that those same challenges existed 250 years ago and how he worked his way through that. Um, and to the point that we were talking a bit about earlier, you know, he, he didn't allow any grass to grow under his feet. I mean, he was so busy in so many different realms and successful. I mean, he he retired from the printing business at age forty-eight to, as he says, devote his the remainder of his life to philosophical studies and civic causes. That's incredible and, goals. Yeah, and and so. I'm often asked at the end of the play, I, do, I usually do a talk back, and I'm often asked, what would Franklin think about what's going on today? And I turn, try to turn it around because obviously Franklin didn't live that long. Basically, you know, what can we learn from Franklin's experience? I mean, the, the fact that he very much was into building community which is something I think we still ought to be trying to do. know, mm-hmm. He created a, a, a college, uh, University of Pennsylvania. He helped to found that. He created the first hospital in Philadelphia, helped to with others. Um, he started the first fire company. He started the first subscription library, all of which you know, the, all those things still kind of exist today and mm. contribute greatly to communities. So that's that's what I find out of the material.
1: It's so funny. So much of that is what a lot of uh, modern self-proclaimed patriots would call socialist.
3: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's
1: fundamentally, foundationally American. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's 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 a fascinating thing to meditate on. What about you, Eric? What do you hope people... What do you hope listeners take away? I think the
2: um, common humanity in in a superhero. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So like when I first read it, and Ray, you know this, I I was like, whoa, can we say that? Were those really the thoughts that, you know, like there were things that kind of like jilted me, but then the more I sat with it and really looked at what he was really saying and the time that they were in. Mm -hmm. And then those things that maybe red flagged me compared with the giant wealth of of amazing progress and amazing openness and amazing um, um, wonder that he stirred and explored and whatever. It just, as soon as I took my gut instinct out of it and just really read and just tried to learn from what I was seeing, I got so much out of it. And so I would just say, not only are you going to get a pretty cool history lesson i i i sure went to school and i didn't learn this much about ben franklin and and then also to just if you just listen to the words and hear what he was doing and what he was thinking in his point of view and how they evolved and how things i think it'll be really fascinating and we'll realize that these people that are held to such high um um put on such a pedestal mm-hmm. are also fundamentally human at the core, which is what I kind of said a minute ago. And I, I still feel that way. And so to, while he's doing all these astronomical things that you can't believe any one person could do, there's the struggle with his personal life or with his son or with, you know, these, these, these things that just make him, quote, just a human like everybody else. And so um, I think that that's important because we, we hold people up, we idolize them, we revere them for reasons and sometimes forget that they were humans acting out of their own humanity as well. So I thought it was both brilliantly historically educational and also a a strong reminder of common humanity.
1: Mm. Well, thank you guys so much for talking to me. It's really, it's it's an inspiring and, and, and interesting thing to think about. And, and it's a very cool piece. And, uh, I I look forward to having everybody listen to it and hear that amazing thunderstorm and that incredible (laughs) performance. And uh, thank you guys so much. It's been really awesome chatting with you.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, Eric.
1: (laughs) You can listen to it right over on Standby for Places, streaming now. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.